0: So we'll continue with the story of King Saul. And as we can see, the story of King Saul, his leadership is a catalog of progressive epic failures. We have seen how the Israelites has rejected God's leadership despite living testimonies of resounding victories, miracles, and God's faithfulness to his words. We have also seen how God raised Saul to lead the people in response to their demand for self-determination. In previous chapter, chapter 13, we learn his son, Jonathan, launched attack on the garrison of the Philistines and which brought about heavy reprisals. Also in the first part of this chapter, which is chapter 14, as Brian shared, Jonathan had another go on the Philistines with a success. And consequently, the scattered armies of the Israel were motivated and encouraged to come out of, from their hiding places to pursue and fight their enemy. That day, God gave the Israelites resounding victory. In chapter 14, verse 24, the narrative opens with a clear picture of the distressed state of the men of Israel. And we were told, resulted from King Saul's rash holds. Saying, "Us is the man who eat any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies." Go with me to the to chapter fourteen, and I'll read from verse twenty-four. It says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul has placed the people under oath, saying, Cause is the man who eat any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land Came to the forest and there was honey on the ground and when the people had come into the woods there was the honey dripping but no one put his hand to his mouth for the people who fear the oath but Jonathan had not had his father father's charge and the people with the oath therefore he stretched out the end, the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, cost is the man who eat food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now, how my countenance has brightened because I had tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoils of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter? among the Philistines. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilom. So the people were very faint and the people rushed on, on the spoils and took took sheep, oxen and cows and slaughtered them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, "Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood." So he said, "You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day." Then Saul said, "Despise yourself among the people," and said to them, "Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep." slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until morning, until morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsels of God Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hands of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel? Though it be Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lot between my son, Jonathan, and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, God do so and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the Lord said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground for he has walked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, Ammon, against Edom, Against the kings of Zuba and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them, and he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshua, and Malkishua and the name of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn, born, and the name of the younger, Mikael. The name of Saul's wife was Aino, the daughter of Aimas. And the name of the commander of, the, of his army was Adna, the son of Nah, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and now the father of Abner was the son of Abel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any violent man, he took him for himself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. These oaths, as we said, was not only foolishness and uncalled for, it was a total disobedience and disregard for the power and the presence of God Almighty. It shows that King Saul saw the success as a result of his personal strength and mind, forgetting that it was the favor of God that saved and gave them victory. Moreover, by making such irrational hope, he did not view the battle as the Lord's. His desire at this point was to glorify himself and take personal vengeance against the Philistines. And this brings us to our main topic, self-centeredness or selfishness. I don't want to go to bore you with the details of what it means, self-centeredness means or selfishness, but we all know about what it what it means. When we cannot think outside ourselves, when we cannot reason with others, when we cannot take into consideration people around us, when we don't care about others, but ourselves. That is a little picture of self-centeredness. Self-importance. When you look down on every person, when you don't see anything good about any individual but yourself, when all you care is just me, me, me. It is a dangerous quality and it's unbecoming of a king, a leader. It is at the bottom or rather in the middle, of failure. It brings conflict. And self-centeredness has no room for love. It has no room for consideration. It only speaks for itself. And anyone indulge in self-centeredness Belittle others. You don't care how they feel. You don't even want to know how they are faring. You only see individuals around you, people around you, as tools, or rather steps to climb to the heights or to actualize your dream. There is absolutely everything wrong with self-centeredness. There is absolutely everything wrong with selfishness. So that is one of the reasons why Saul fell completely as a leader. That is why his leadership was not something to write home about. And that's why when God looked at him, God that sees the intent of the heart, God decided to limit him. According to one commentator, he said, I quote, everything that the book of Samuel tells us about Samuel, about Saul, has been written down in order to tell us why he was a kingly failure. He was the kind of king the people wanted. That is, when you look at his physique, his royal looking, etc. He was the kind the, the kind of king the people deserved after rejecting God as their true king. But he was not the kind of God's the kind of king that God's people needed. In other words, he looked like a king. He possesses the the persona of, of a king, but in reality, he's not a leader. He was not the king God's people needed. But he fit for the purpose because they rejected God in the first place. But before we start to condemn Saul completely, it's good for us to understand that we can be very much related with, with him. It is therefore very much important for us to know that we are not different from Saul. We may not occupy leadership position. We may not be kings or prime ministers or presidents of our countries or leaders of any political parties. But one thing is sure. We are leaders in our various sphere of life and devil. We are created to lead and we need to see ourselves in souls and learn our lesson through his failure. That is the purpose of this passage. We are created to lead And we need to see ourselves in Saul and learn our lessons through his failure. I'm listening to this article I I came across. It said, I quote, I like to think of leadership as how I take up my God-given responsibility in my little part of the global garden. I can influence everything, or rather, I can't influence everything for godly change, but I can influence people God has entrusted to me. God has given me a task to order my parts of the garden and invite people to trust God, to follow Jesus and live by the Spirit. I do that at work, which is easier in a church, at home with my family, with my neighbors, and with others I meet in the world. This both encourages me to live up to what God has given me to do and sober me as I consider the scope of the work to be done for him. What is the scope of your part of the garden that God has entrusted to you? Take up the responsibility and authority to lead well. It will delight the heart of God. Simply put, God is delighted in us when we acknowledge and take up our God given responsibility to our brothers and our sisters in Christ, to our families to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, the community as well. In truth, Saul as a leader was not in command. His son, Jonathan, possessed the true leadership quality, not Saul. If you go with me, to 1 Samuel 13, 1 to 4. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, 1 to 4. It says, Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mi'kmaq and in the mountain of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in in Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew trumpets throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear this. Ha, hear. Now all the Israel hear it and said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. what this passage is saying is just to illustrate who was in command he was appointed king he was ordained to be to lead the children of israel according to their demand but from all indication you see that he is truly not in command he was not if we look at what 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 is the, um, the what he was doing he had three, he had 3000 men with him 3000 soldiers were with him where in and if you look at it, that place was a secluded place, a hiding place. It's like a holiday house, so to say. He wasn't active. And how many was with Jonathan? Jonathan was with a thousand soldiers. And where was he? He was in the, uh, in the giver of Better. better. So what happened? He, at the hill where he was, he was active, looking out for enemies, watching. And that is when he realized that there were enemies around and he attacked. And it, it was only when Saul Heard of it that he blew his trumpet, and what did the people say? They ascribed it to him. They said that Saul, not Jonathan, that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines. And if we if we also look at the uh, at the first part of chapter fourteen. The first part of chapter 14, it says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his arm Ammon Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a Palm, granite tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about six hundred men. Achan, son of Itob, Ecbert's brother, Ichabod's brother, the son of Pinhas, the son of Eli, Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Boses, and the name of the other, Sene. The front of the one face northward, opposite Mikmash, and the other southward, opposite Gibeah. Now look at their position. Jonathan, this is security blunder. Even the, the, uh, the soldiers, they didn't know that Jonathan was not there. They didn't even know when he sneaked out. Because they were lousy, they just relaxed. Saul himself was under the tree. Maybe somebody, uh, where, you know, where they were just uh, entertaining him and he wasn't, he was just taking care of himself, enjoying, forgetting that there is war to fight. One of the reasons why the Israelites. rejected God in the first place, was that they want a king who will go before them, who will fight war, who will lead them in war. They were not looking for a king who will have all the time to relax, who has the time to pamper himself, who has the time to, you know, indulge in things that is not related to how to move them forward? But here is so, uh, um, so under a pomegranate tree. What a leader! So the point I'm bringing up here is that Saul was not the real leader. He was not. Because of his disobedience and self-centeredness, he succeeded not only in ruining his own leadership, but his sons, Jonathan, who would have made a better king than himself. He was so blinded by his personal agenda that he failed to see the suffering of his people. If we go to verse 14, I mean, chapter 14, verse 4, verse 24b to 30. Okay, from, 30, from 24, sorry, from 24, to he said, and the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had placed the people under oath saying, cause is the man who eat any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground and when the people had come into the wood there was the honey dripping but no one put hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath but Jonathan had not had his father's charge and the people with the oath therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cause is the man who eat food this day. And the people were fainted. But hear what Jonathan said, verse 29. So Jonathan said, my father had troubled the land. Now look how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoils of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? So, all in all, Saul was not concerned about the welfare of his soldiers, otherwise he would have allowed them to eat and be strengthened. Jonathan's taste of honey and Jonathan's word of wisdom both proved the point that Saul's rash and self-absorbed decision was not only hurtful in terms of the welfare of each individual soldier, but also in terms of but the result of the Or rather, the outcome of the battle. And when Saul looked at his men, he only saw tools to be used for the sake of his agenda. He didn't see God's people, who needed to be shepherded, to be cared for. His self-centeredness and lack of care for his people compelled his soldiers to sin against God by eating their meat with blood in it. If we look at verse verse 31 to 33, it says, Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Mikmash to Ejelon. So the people were very faint and the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and cow, and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating eating the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. That was his uh, response. In verse verse 31, we we read that Israelites pursued the Philistines from 16 miles, some 16 miles to the west and the southwest. We also read that this pursuits, combined with their lack of food had taken a very severe physical toll on the people. And all this set the stage for the people's sin in verse 32. Because of their, because of what the, the, the battle, because of the distance they have run in pursuit of the, um, of the Philistines. Coupled with lack of food, they were highly exhausted. They had no stamina. And that's the reason why they sin by eating meat with the blood, meat soaked with blood, which is against the commandment of God. Going all the way back to Noah, God routinely commanded the people not to eat meat with blood in it. For blood was a symbol for life. And God uses this prohibition to teach them about the sacredness of of life. But the soldiers were so hungry that they were not going to waste time worrying about blood. They needed food. And when you look at it, even though Saul did not order the men to eat blood-soaked meat, he created the circumstances. Therefore, he is guilty of creating creating a breeding ground for sin. His failure to lead God's people helped, aid, and abet the failure of God's people. So it was his fault. Is the one that you know this the, the the oath that he made was the reason why these people sin. The reason why they fall into this sin. In verse thirty three to 37, 33 to thirty-seven. It says, then they told Saul saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating the blood, eating with blood. So he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Then Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning, morning light. And let us not have a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priests said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. So in those verses, we see two separate situations. In the first half of that passage, Saul dealing with the bloody meat issue. And in the second half of the passage, he is planning for a night attack against the Philistines. Saul never introduced the subject of God. Someone else always bring God to his attention. If you look at these passages we read, someone reminded him of the sin in the first place, before, before he was able to take action. And in this, in the second one, the priests, after he wanted to go to, go, to war, he wanted to go after the Philistines, he did not inquire of the Lord. It was a priest that called him back. Say, look here, let us ask God's opinion in this first. He was the commander in chief. He has every right to understand that for them to succeed in the war, that God should be. Number one. But he had no clue. He never introduced the subject of God. Someone always bring God God, to his attention. Behold, the men, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Verse 33. But the priests said, let us draw near to God here. Verse 36. And when others bring God to his attention, Saul is quick to invoke the name of God. He is quick to be religious. So it's not natural in him. As a leader of of God's people, God is supposed to be number one. But in the case of Saul, it was not. And in both cases, it is extremely confident to include God in things. In both instances, Saul, called or other can look like the hero. More importantly, he can look like the godly hero. That's not to say that Saul didn't believe in God. Saul believed in God, but he seems to believe that God exists in order to affirm his own agenda rather than us or rather himself living for God's purposes. The same thing is still applicable to us today. Like I said, when we talk about leaders, we are quick to exempt ourselves We are quick to point fingers on our prime ministers, our councillors, our political leaders. But we always exonerate ourselves. We are all leaders. We are all leaders. It doesn't matter where you it doesn't matter the corner you find yourself. It doesn't matter where you be, where you belong. We are all leaders. If you look around you, you will see those that God placed under your care. Might not be multitudes. It may not be as huge as it should be. It may be one or two. How are you leading? How is your leadership? Can someone describe it as soul-like? Can someone describe it as Jonathan-like? Can someone liken it to David's? These are leaders. The Israelites has produced leaders, but this is the first time they produce leader after their own hard desire. And it is epic failure, epic disaster. We look at verse 38 to 46. Verse 38 to 46. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel? Though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lot between my son, Jonathan, and me. Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. And now I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has walked with the Lord this day. So the people rescued Jonathan. And he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul. Saul had come to a point where nobody was even, people were not even interested in giving him advice. People were not just like whatever seemed right to you, whatever seemed good to you. It's okay. Maybe they've been telling him, he has no advisor. He doesn't listen to them. So if you observe, you will you, you have that their, their response to his questions or to his demand has always been, as it seemed good to you. Showing that the people, they were tired of him. They were done with him. He was more of a nuisance than a leader. And when a leader came to a point where his subjects will always tell him, or oh, whatever seemed good to you, you are done. You are completely done. If it's in the military, be sure that coup d'etat. Is on the way. Do whatever seemed good to you. That is a very bad place to be as a leader. When you come to a point, nobody would like to advise you. Due to his self centeredness, Saul was overzealous for the people's sin than dealing with his own sin. He quickly understood that there must be sin somewhere and him, he did not look inward. He did not see anything wrong with himself. He did not believe or he could not even think outside the box to understand that the sin, the reason why God did not answer him was not because somebody tasted honey But because he himself, because of his sin, that's why God did not respond to his questions. Because he was, God was, God has already done with him. What we need to be very clear about this verse 30, after verse 38, through verse 46, is that God is, in fact, communicating through the priest and the Urim, and the Tumim. Now remember, the Urim and the Tumim were probably like flat stones. Maybe one light and one dark. Maybe they had something written on them, but they were somehow used to discern God's will. That's what's happening in these verses. Because God is silent about Saul's battle, Saul believed there must be unconfessed sin among the soldiers. And when Jonathan is the, uh, identified as the culprit, Saul assumed two things: that Jonathan's guilt is confirmed, and that Saul, Saul's own oath is being validated, which means by Jonathan taking the uh, uh, testing the the honey means his oath was validated. And by testing it, he has sinned. And that to him, that is the reason why God did not answer him. But I believe the bigger picture of chapter 13 and 14 should lead us to conclude that Jonathan is singled out, not because he's guilty of breaking Saul's oath, but ultimately so that Saul will see the foolishness of his oath. That very point is made by the other leaders when they rescue Jonathan from Saul's punishment. They argued persuasively that Jonathan cannot die because Jonathan was the one God used to accomplish victory. And it is amazing That, in spite of Jonathan's strong words in verse verse 29 and 30 about his father's oath, he is willing to die if it is necessary for the sake of Israel's victory. That is even self abnegation. Jonathan was sacrificed because he did not argue, he did not contest it, he did not. He accepted the verdict because he believed that if, if, it is, if it is the will of God, so be it. As long as it will bring victory to, the, to his people, he was prepared to lay down his life. And his father did not see it that way. Jonathan is the kind of leader God's people needed, not Saul. But because of his father's disobedience and God's judgment, Jonathan will never be the king. No one from Saul's household will reign ever again. Even when his own son's life is on the line, Saul is willing to consider the very oath that Jonathan is guilty of violating. Saul could not see that God's law does not require Jonathan's death. That his oath is not the righteous and responsible royal decree, but his own rashness and self-centeredness. He could not see his own sin, but Jonathan's. And because he's blinded by self-righteousness, Saul must deal harshly with sin. Sin must be dealt with just as long as it is not his own sin. It is clear here that Saul was not the king that God's people needed. And kudos to Jonathan. If you have come to a point in your life as a leader as as Christian, and when I say as Christian, being leaders as well, because we are all leaders. If you have come to a point where the people who vouch for you tap yourself on the shoulder and thank God for whatever you are doing. It was the people that said over their own, over their own, that never will this guy's life be taken. That even you that call yourself a leader, Saul, you are not in command. Is this guy that's been, this your son, Jonathan, he's the one that is even leading. He is the reason for our victory. He's the reason for our advancement. He is the reason for whatever little achievement that we have accomplished today. Why will he die? They told him point and blank that nothing will happen to Jonathan. And what they did not tell him at that point was that they were even prepared to for him for to take his life than that of Jonathan. He could not see his own sin, but Jonathan's. Why? Because he is blinded by self-righteousness. He did not see anything wrong with himself, but everybody. So everybody's wrong. Everybody is a sinner but himself. He was so self-righteous. He was so self centered that he could not look beyond his nose. And at this point, it was clear that he was not the king that God's people needed. It was clear that instead of a leader, he was a, he had become a nuisance. It was a clear it was clear that he was a shadow and not the real object. But at the end of the day, when we look at it, that's what they demanded for. That's the kind of leader that's the kind of leader they needed. Because they were going by what they can see. They want somebody that can stand when they look at it. You say, oh, this is the king of Israel. Can anybody be bigger than than God? No. Can anybody be stronger than God? No. So this is to, to show that they devalue themselves. They devalue whatever they had and ridicule themselves before their enemies. It is our prayer that God will not take us to a point whereby will be, so, be, be condescend so low to a point of uselessness. To a point where others who could not even say a word against us will now be pushing us around. As Christians, let our qualities the christ last quality that is inbuilt in us let our life we live every day and night let it showcase it. let our life showcase showcase christ in every step we take in every breath we we breathe And let us come to that point where people will be prepared not only to save us, but even to lay their lives down for our sake as a result of our righteousness and good deeds before the Lord God of course. Father Lord, we thank you for how you've led us Thank you for your words that have gone forth. Thank you, Father, for you are the good God, the loving kindness, Father. Thank you that you have given us the privilege, the opportunity, even to come before thy throne of grace. Thank you, Father, you are the righteous King, you are the righteous leader. Teach us to lead in your own way and through you. Blessed be your name. Thank you for the wondrous things you are doing in our midst. Thank you for the gift of life, O Lord, that is coming in. Left and right. Lord, we pray and we continue to praise your name. Lord, we bless your name.